This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. I'm Madison Allworth. I'm Juan Williams. I'm Liz Clayman, And this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, February 2nd, 2024. I'm Chris Foster. Former President Trump says a bipartisan border security bill coming out of the Senate is stupid and shouldn't be passed. There's very much the sense of um, it's a good election year issue for him. The White House is desperate to do something on it. Um, And so therein lies the conundrum. We're speaking with Fox News Sunday host Shannon Breen. And Lisa Brady. The questions remain the same one year after a toxic train derailment in Ohio. There is a lot of unknown with as far as health goes and anxiety and on what kind of real damage was done to the environment. And I'm Carol Markowitz. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Senate Democrats and Republicans have been working on a bill meant to increase border security, a deal opposed by former President Trump and the Republican House Speaker Mike Johnson. If President Biden wants us to believe he's serious about protecting our national security, he needs to demonstrate good faith and take immediate action to secure that border. But he won't do it. He needs to immediately stop the mass release of illegals into our country, but he won't do it. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. It's unfortunate and deeply disturbing to hear those on the hard right trying to sink the bipartisan work happening here in the Senate. The hypocrisy of calling the border broken and an emergency for months. And now when time is here to make meaningful change and everyone agrees the change is meaningful and deep, their tones have changed. President Biden says he's done all he can do at the border with the power he has. There are those who say, listen, the president has the tools. This is definitely the talking point because we're hearing it from multiple people. He just needs the tools. Fox News Sunday and Living the Bream podcast host Shannon Bream. You know, in the hardcore conservatives say he has the tools. He's not using them. President Trump used the tools and look at the numbers and the difference uh, in those numbers. Um, but listen, there's very much the sense of um, it's a good election year issue for him. The White House is desperate to do something on it. Um, And so therein lies the conundrum. You know, Langford says, I took an oath to the Constitution to protect people and to protect my constituents. And that's what we do by closing the border in any capacity. And others will say, no, I'm just going to wait this out because I think the next guy, if it turns into Trump, is going to do a whole lot more to secure that border than um, what we could get here. Uh, Yeah. And we'll get to the tax bill, too. There's a similar idea that, yeah, um, we want to hurt Biden in an election year, mm-hmm. but it's also it's not just for that. It's because we think that we'll be better on taxes and better on the border if he loses. So it's not quite as cynical as all that. Well, I don't yeah. know. I mean, you know, we all heard Senator Grassley come out right. and say, you know, kind of the quiet part out loud. Like, why would we give a win on this big tax bill and let them, um, you know, get a big win on this, start sending out checks, which is not exactly what's going to happen before the right. um, election. Um, when, if we, you know, hurt President Trump's chances of being reelected, it hurts the 2017 tax cuts. Right. So that's, they're that's, thinking the longer yeah, game. That's yeah, the argument. Th- that's what I meant, that it's not just yeah, about yeah. hurting Biden. It's about helping their mm-hmm. cause down the road by hurting Biden. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of the border, it looks very much like Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas is going to be the first cabinet secretary impeached since 1876, if I remember that right. Uh, that's, that's a big statement House Republicans are making on border security right there. 
Yeah, they are. And the thing is, they know it's going to die in the Senate. There's no way he's going to get convicted there. But as you know, impeachment trials shoot to the top of the list. So for Senate business, they take priority. So how ticked are these senators going to be that they're going to have to put on a Senate impeachment trial for uh, a cabinet official that's probably not got a chance of going anywhere when they have the tax bill, the border bill, Ukraine funding, Israel funding? I mean, never mind. None of the appropriations bills um, have <laughs> passed both houses or gotten to the president. And we've got that March deadline for those looming, too. So I'm not sure that sending a, an impeachment trial over to the Senate is going to engender a lot of friends for the House with everything they've got sitting over there it, because it has no chance. Right. Maybe it's maybe it, maybe they engineer as short a trial as possible and just clear the mm-hmm. deck and let the statement be made. And that's that. Um, uh, former President Trump has led President Biden in most polls last whatever month-ish. Uh, this new Quinnipiac poll finds President Biden ahead of mm-hmm. Donald Trump. It also finds Nikki Haley ahead of President Biden. It also finds Donald Trump ahead of her. So um, we're back where we have been for a while now, where Trump wins the nomination but doesn't fare as well against some of his Republican competitors head-to-head against Biden. Yeah, and there's this question about, you know, one of the things in the Quinnipiac, which it does right now look like an outlier, but as we get more data in and that GOP race looks like it's heading to a finish line, do we start to get different polling on the head-to-head with President Trump and President Biden? There's a showing of a a bit of a gender gap growing there for President Trump. Um, That's always been a little bit of an issue for him. So you wonder the E. Jean Carroll case getting headlines and, you know, accusations of sexual assault and this huge jury verdict. Him ripping on, you know, Nikki Haley and her dress, ripping on Taylor Swift. I mean, like um, by some on the right who are claiming the whole thing is a psyop with Travis Kelsey. I mean, you got to wonder if some of this stuff is rubbing women the wrong way, that they're sort of like, gosh, I don't know that I can go down the path with this guy. If that's my choice or Biden, then I'm, I'm going with Biden. And suburban women, as you know, have been a big issue for the GOP. And um, for President Trump, he he can't really afford for that gap to widen very much mm-hmm. if he's the guy in the general. Uh, just flipping through polls, this, there's a Monmouth poll in South Carolina mm-hmm. where Trump holds the, a large lead over Haley, who is a South Carolina uh, native. She's seen her favorability drop there while Trump's mm-hmm. has risen. She's in this odd position of maybe having to not exactly punt, but look past her home state and concentrate mm-hmm. the fight elsewhere. Absolutely, because it's a winner-take-all delegate state. So it doesn't matter if she finished 49-51 with him. She gets no delegates there. And she's this new uh, Monmouth poll, what is it, 26 points back on the president there in her home state. So they've been trying to message, I get the impression, that this is going to Super Tuesday. Because Super Tuesday, there are all kinds of states, and many of them are um, where you can pick up delegates even if you don't win. It's proportional. And so does she get that far? I mean, it seems like a long time in politics. It's really only a couple more weeks. She had a great fourth quarter and she's got the money to keep going. Does she want to have on her record that she lost her home state? Yeah, that poll, the Monmouth poll finds South Carolina voters don't care much about Trump's legal issues. But there's a Bloomberg poll Mm -hmm. that finds um, Trump ahead of Biden in swing states. But he loses an awful lot of support if he's specifically if he's convicted in a felony. So maybe Mm -hmm. if dominoes fall down the line, maybe that's. You know, that's Haley's thinking as well. Either way, it's costing Trump political action committees big bucks mm-hmm. in legal fees. Now, Absolutely. this is from um, political action committees, not the Trump campaign itself. I'm not, you know, conversant in campaign finance law. I don't know how it works. Campaign donations being used for personal legal fees. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. it's meant to help the candidate, which helps the candidate get to, gets elected. Right. Um, so I guess that's the argument for it being OK. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the article I read this morning said $50 million in donor money has been used on his legal fees. Um, but when you talk to people who are supportive of President Trump, maybe they give 25 bucks, they give 1000 whatever it is, they're fine because they don't think that these legal cases are legit, any of them. And so most of the just anecdotally, the people I've talked to about, are you OK with your donations? Yeah, exactly. I want to uh, help him fight these bogus charges. So this is why, though, all of this delaying of and running out the clock as much as possible on this case, these cases for so many reasons is so important to Trump and why he has to win to be able to get by the most serious of the charges. He can't do anything about the state cases, even if he becomes president, but the federal cases he can if he becomes president. But really, he just needs to get past November if he's the nominee and these cases are all pending. You know, we don't think that the January 6th case is going to start March 4th. I think it's going to get delayed quite a bit because of all of the legal machinations over whether or not he has some kind of immunity. Um, the Mar-a-Lago case is supposed to start in May, but it looks like because of some of the pretrial motions and discovery and those kinds of things, that's not going to start in May. Um, Georgia was supposed to start in August. Now we have this dust up with Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade. So you listen, their goal is to get get to November without um, any verdicts and try, try to get past those places so they don't run into that very dangerous situation where some people who have voted for him thus far or have enter- entertained voting for him, the general would say, nope, a felony conviction or a jail sentence, I'm out. Either way, there's going to be an awful lot of howling this year if he is able to run on the clock and does win, well, you know, re-election. If he does win in November, um, the left is going to say, you know, this is this is ridiculous. He's not facing justice. The, 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 these cases mm-hmm. should have been adjudicated long before now. And if he is convicted of something before the election and then from the right, it's election interference. I mean, the thing is, people have lost uh, confidence in the Justice Department. I think that's happened on many different in many different groups. But clearly right now, conservatives um, think that things operate in a political fashion. When that Hunter Biden sweetheart plea deal <laughs> blew up, that was the first time I think that people started to think like, oh, hey, there's going to be a way to publicly call this stuff out and make sure that everybody's getting balls and strikes wherever you're coming from. But President Trump presciently knew a year ago before Alvin Bragg uh, indicted him that this stuff would be good for him. I mean, he's smart enough to read the populist vein and, and where folks would be with him on this. And so, um, you know, while it's dangerous for him legally, I mean, to his freedom and to the existence of his freedom moving forward, potentially, it's been great for him politically. But all of this comes on a collision course to November where voters will have to make decisions about somebody who may or may not have been convicted and still facing other charges. Appeals take forever. So people will know that. But if there's a conviction on the books, it does change the equation for a lot of voters, according to these new polls. There was another hearing this week on social media and kids. Now, every once in a while, they drag these CEOs to the Capitol to scold them for a few hours, and then no legislation gets passed. Uh, do you mm-hmm. feel like there's more political appetite for it? And if there is, it's it's a tough thing to legislate how kids use it, social media. It is, because nobody wants to be seen signaling to the younger generation that we're going to take away TikTok or this or the other. I mean, people worry about the political fallout about that. This is bipartisan, though, so the, both sides would have to own it. But listen, I've been talking to, you've been talking to, we've been talking to lawmakers for well over a year or two about legislation to ban TikTok. And it's always like, it's on the cusp. It's bipartisan. It's happening. And then it never does. And they come back on the show and I'm like, what happened to that? Why, you know, why didn't that ever get passed? Um, gosh, there's a lot of consternation about it. But this was even more broad ranging. I mean, when you're talking about Meta and all the other groups, um, most of the major groups being there, they took a beating. And sometimes, call me skeptical, 
Uh, sometimes this, these hearings are about everybody getting in their good sound bites and really ripping on these guys, but knowing there's not a vehicle, a legislative vehicle that's ready to move forward. But I mean, D's and R's, everybody yesterday got something out of this hearing that put, you know, just a real beat down on these CEOs. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned, uh, Taylor Swift, there's talk that the Biden camp is is really in there courting an endorsement. Some conservatives say they're, you know, they're just lying in wait. Um, there's a, the, the real conspiracy theories say that the Super Bowl's in the tank and that uh, and that Biden's going to drop in from a helicopter at halftime and get an endorsement, you know, at the 50 at the 50 yard oh, line. Wow, that would be quite quite the spectacle. I, that might have um, been my fever dream, but <laughs> If it happens, though, I'm going to say, people, you heard it here first. Chris knew. Yeah. Uh, well, do you, um, do you have any thoughts on it? Um, there, po- well, politically, the, the, it, politically, it's weird to attack maybe one of the most popular people in the world. Well, the funny thing is, is that um, Wall Street Journal had a piece that I thought was interesting, and it, it ended saying, listen, if you're so worried that the endorsement of a pop star who admittedly is humongous would tip the scales in favor of Biden over Trump, then maybe GOP, you shouldn't be, you know, nominating Trump. And look, if she does come out and actually endorse President Biden, I don't know what her plans are. I mean, she's going to get plenty of shut up and sing, but she at this point may not care. No, I don't think she will care because, listen, she just had, I think, the most extravagant, successful tour of all time. And I know plenty of Swifties. My goddaughter is a Swifty. There are plenty of them. I think, honestly, if she said, you guys are going to have to vote for Cornell West, they'd be like, I don't know who that is, but okay, I'm voting for <laughs> Cornell West. I mean, she's pretty powerful and she may feel like um, that, you know, she could be the person to tip this thing away from Trump and for Biden. Shannon Bream, host of Fox News Sunday and the Live in the Bream podcast. Bye, Shannon. Bye, Chris. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. This is Carol Markowitz with your Fox News commentary coming up. Tomorrow marks one year since the fiery freight train derailment that devastated East Palestine, Ohio, releasing hazardous chemicals and forcing many residents to evacuate, including some in neighboring Pennsylvania, to facilitate a controlled release of toxic fumes. But they were cleared to return only days later. You're going to smell it as soon as you go into my house. Leading to concern at the time and ongoing health questions for some. For many, it's been a year of fear, a year of uncertainty and a year of change. But EPA Administrator Michael Regan says it's also been a year of action, highlighting the work of multiple federal agencies and the EPA's efforts to hold Norfolk Southern accountable for the cleanup and the cost. Because of this oversight and our comprehensive and ongoing science-based monitoring, we're confident that the residents of East Palestine are not at risk from impacted surface water, soil, or air from the derailment. The NTSB investigation pointed to wheel bearings that overheated and the track detectors for that, 
Congress passed the Rail Safety Act aimed at new requirements on rail carriers, especially those transporting hazardous materials. And in September, President Biden issued an executive order directing that Norfolk Southern continue to be held accountable. He plans to make his first visit to East Palestine this month. He is there for that community for as long as it takes, and he's proven that. White House spokeswoman Karine Jean-Pierre defends the timing of the visit, saying the president's position has always been he would be there when it was most helpful and that the mayor has invited him. But some remain skeptical of the visit and dissatisfied with the administration's take. There's been a whole-of-government response every step of the way. I would say we're 70 percent back to normal. State Senator Michael Rooley is a Republican representing Ohio's 33rd district, which includes East Palestine. So the 70 percent that's back to normal is the visual. So if you came and jumped in my pickup truck and I I gave you an hour tour of East Palestine, you would know that it looks all right. Like Ground Zero, which was the biggest problem, it took about six months to have it cleaned up. There was problems in a lot of different depths. Uh, one of the problems was that Governor uh, Whitmer of Michigan played games with allowing our semi-trucks full of contaminated soil to go to the federal EPA designated sites within Michigan. She stopped those trucks at the border of Ohio and Michigan and they were sent back to East Palestine. And this, when uh, the weather came and it would rain, it would recontaminate the site. So I think that was probably the biggest hurdle that we had to get back to normal because until that happened, there was there was a slight sweet smell in the air. And when I was on Fox the first time I described, which is true, I only live about seven miles away from the site. Uh, I was there a lot. You would have sore throat and irritation. Since then, Norfolk has excavated the entire line from about three quarters wide, both rails, 18 feet deep, all new bedrock, all new topsoil, all new gravel, all new everything has happened. So this way, that smell is gone. Uh, The town looks back to normal. Things are cleaned up. Um, So that's why I would say that we're 70 percent back to normal. The 30%, which is why we're not back to normal, is the unknown. There is a lot of unknown with as far as health goes and anxiety and on what kind of real damage was done to the environment. The federal government and and the state government, too, um, have given a lot of assurances about um, where things stand with the health risks. The EPA and the local government had told residents, you know, they were safe to return just days after the derailment. Have many people been second guessing that ever since then and, and continue to second guess it? Well, I think I, I've said this a couple of times before. After 9-11, you know, the American EPA gave the thumbs clear in Manhattan to go back to normal within weeks. And we see the ramifications of 20 years uh, in the future, what happens as far as, you know, health problems and cancers that develop. We were really fortunate. A bunch of us put a little bit of pressure on some amazing universities, Texas A&M, Carnegie Mellon. Uh, I'm not sure if Stanford came, but a lot of those universities came and they did molecule testing. So I think like when the Ohio and and the national EPA did their initial testing, I think a lot of people felt, you know, a little bit better about things. And when you would drive around literally on every block on top of uh, the telephone pole, they would have air monitors. So like the optics were really nice that, 
you know, things were getting a little bit more normal. But, you know, when you see dead fish in the creeks and you have a film on cars, you still have an anxiety level that was through the roof. And I think when the universities came and they started doing the molecule testings, I think that added a whole extra layer of what reality was. You told me when we spoke last February that you would not drink the water. Would you drink it now? Personally, no. Just feel it's not worth the risk. We live seven miles away and I still drink bottled water. You know, the White House press secretary sounded uh, at least somewhat dismissive when a reporter asked whether President Biden would drink the water during his upcoming visit to East Palestine, as some officials did last year. Karine Jean-Pierre said this isn't about political stunts, that the priority has been, you know, meeting the needs on the ground and having the right agencies in place to do that. So now that it's been a year, does a visit from the president mean less? How, how would you assess the federal response overall? I give the federal response a D minus. I think the state, we try to do a lot of things in the state. I think Ann Vogel, the director of the Ohio EPA, she pretty much had an apartment there for five months and never left. Uh, I think the administration, along with the different chambers, we got uh, over $200 million in rail detectors placed in the law so we could monitor those bearings on the rail cars to make sure that they don't uh, catch on fire. Like th That's the reason that happened. Uh, I was honored to be a co-chair of the Rail Committee of the Ohio Senate by talking to a lot of experts and completely Monday morning quarterback. We should have showed up there with several hundred truckloads of sand or soil, and we should have took backhoes and we should have suffocated those five cars that were on fire because we put 900,000 gallons of foam and water on a chemical fire, which is not how you put that fire out. Now, what good comes from that? Now we're building a fire academy. Uh, fire Chief Keith of East Palestine, he uh, orchestrated it, and we're going to teach firemen how to put out fires with their chemical fires. FEMA was there for a week, and then they were never be seen from again. Never declared it a national disaster area. Biden never came. The president never stepped foot into the town until a year later, which I am so bewildered that he's coming now. To me, it makes no sense for any reason, for politically or for uh, actual compensation. You know, if anyone from the administration listens to this, you better bring a fat check because there still is a lot of work to do. We will heal. Just like Nagasaki and Japan now has millions of people living there and is a healthy city, East Palestine will be, be will be built back better than ever before, and it will be stronger than ever before. There hasn't been a federal disaster declaration for East Palestine because of the Biden administration's effort to make sure Norfolk Southern foots the bill. That does leave the door open to federal aid at some point to cover needs not met. Senator Rooley says the state has tried to help, providing millions of dollars for small businesses. But he says they could use another 100 million and that the federal government could help get them to the finish line. You know, Norfolk at the beginning, you know, everybody was really, you know, upset with them. Um, and, and have they been perfect? No. But they've done way more than the federal government. I think Norfolk is approaching a billion dollars of their own money to try to fix the town. Um, and plus, a lot of the rail cars that were that actually 
all four of those rail cars, I believe, were not owned by Norfolk. Norfolk, of course, was responsible because they're the engine that was running it. And those cars were faulty. When there is the disaster like this, it needs to be studied, analyzed, and learned from. Most of the politicians that you're, you're hearing talk about this aren't going into the weeds and the minutia. The minutia and the details needs to be analyzed. Why wasn't the federal government ever present in this last year? These are the questions that have to keep being asked. I want to go back to one other thing that you said a year ago um, or that, had, that I had asked you about. Some local farmers were saying, a strawberry farmer, for instance, they were worried people would have concern about buying their products because of maybe the risk of contamination in the soil, for instance. Has that happened that you know of? Well, Director Baldrich, who uh, directs Ohio Ag, they have these soil testing uh, samples that you could test your soil and it could show any of the, um, any, if there's any heavy metals or if there's any, uh, if there's any of these chemicals that are in the soil. And you see a lot of the farmers doing that. And some of them are actually promoting the test to show that they have, you know, they have healthy soil. But having said that, you know, and I'm not going to mention the names because I'm not sure if these businesses are going to be one and coming back. But there are products that were made in East Palestine that these companies don't exist right now because the shock of the last year of like when you see made in East Palestine, a lot of people just were passing on the product. Uh, you slowly see some of these companies coming back and you see some of the farmers where they're really they're surviving. One last thing. What do you think it will take for the hopeful percentage of the population to grow? I think it's going to take time. And I think it's going to take not only time, but all these steps on every different angle of us trying to improve the town and the area and the confidence and and and, and the passion. And uh, I, I think it is it, it will continue to happen. It's going to be time. I think if we go on this projectile and really, once again, if the administration is, is listening and you're actually going to show up after not being here a year, bring a big fat check, bring a couple hundred million dollars, tell the businesses they're going to be whole. Um, Norfolk had a program. I think it's off and running. If you sell your house, the houses were all appraised by um, the treasurer, Blake uh, Blakeman of Columbiana, in September before the accident. And the houses were valued at pretty high. So if there's a drop in your evaluation, Norfolk had agreed to pay the difference if you were selling it from where it was appraised in September to where it was appraised right now. I think that is implemented. Uh, I haven't really followed up to see if that's actually true, but I know that's what was supposed to have happened. I think within time and more money and more everything, I think we will be whole again. Ohio Republican State Senator Michael Rooley, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast, bringing you closer to the story than you ever thought possible. Subscribe at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. These are the stories that keep you up at night. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Carol Markowitz. What's on your mind? Tween girls are in the social media crosshairs right now. Their crime, taking the appearance of their skin seriously. 
The complaint from the olds is that these kids today are using fancy products on their already perfect line-free faces. These Gen Alpha girls shop at Sephora, have a seemingly unlimited skincare budget, and buy out all the best products. Video after video online and whole segments on the Today Show on TV berates girls for things like using anti-wrinkle cream when they don't actually have wrinkles. Are some of these girls using unnecessary or even harmful products? Maybe. But do they deserve a barrage of nasty videos made about them in retaliation for being misguided? No. Social media plays a role, of course. These girls have been influenced by the older set. They've watched Get Ready With Me. Abbreviations are very in, and these videos are called GRWM clips, where an older, cooler girl applies an array of serums and potions to her already gorgeous face. The younger set copied the look and also the medium. There are now 11-year-olds making their own videos to showcase their skincare routine and applying a dozen products to skin without an ounce of damage in need of fixing. But so what? It's not like previous generations of tween girls didn't have a skincare routine. We did. It's just that our skincare routine was very bad. We would scrub our faces with street gravel, that is St. Ives apricot scrub, and follow it up with oxy cleansing pads, which had the sensation of applying rubbing alcohol directly to an open wound. We thought we were fighting adolescent pimples, but any look at old yearbooks would show that that fight was very much in vain. Our makeup routine was similarly chaotic. We 90s teens plucked out all of our eyebrows and drew a thin line where the brows used to be. The lip color of our moment was dark brown lip liner with a lighter brown lipstick. We'd apply orangey self-tanner or worse, go lay in tanning beds after school. We did not look good. We did not look well. In contrast, tween and teen girls today look fresh-faced, bright, and healthy. They're not scrubbing their faces to an inch of its existence. They read ingredients on products. The ones who are doing it wrong are learning and making corrections to their routines. They're motivated to take care of their faces, not turn themselves into pointy-browed monsters with rashes from all the scrubbing. Give them a break. As the Gen Alpha teen who lives in my home says when asked to defend the fact that she has a very basic skincare routine, I have skin too. They're not overdoing the makeup either. Less is more. Clean girl aesthetic with glass skin and glossy lips remains all the rage. The one weird thing this generation does do is overuse the highlighter. They will look back and wonder why they thought looking greasy was a good look. But that's a rite of passage for teenagers throughout history. Why did I do that to my hair? Why am I wearing that? Where did my eyebrows go? This generation is already too well put together and not nearly awkward enough. Let them have this. Let them make their mistakes and be free to experiment with skincare routines and makeup looks. And of course, let us borrow their products. I'm Carol Markowitz, columnist for the New York Post and foxnews.com. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.